We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 6 today. And I'll be referring to verse 7. But we're, our, our focus in the passage will be verses 1 through 6. Depending on how the Lord leads today and how far we get, we, this may be one sermon, this may be two, uh, possibly three. We'll see how it goes. Um, a few weeks ago, when Caleb uh, offered to lead worship for us, he's, he was kind of counting ahead in the passage and thinking, oh no, I'm going to lead worship on this passage. Uh, this is one that no man wants to touch, uh, the passage about women and their silence and their beauty and the quiet spirit. There's a lot in this text that has gotten a lot of people in trouble. There's also a lot in this text that God speaks to us that is true. And so I pray this morning as we look at verses 1 through 7 together, most focusing on 1 through 6, that the truth of God's word has actually spoken today. And so that if there is any harm, if there's any hurt, that perhaps when we understand exactly what Peter is trying to express here, perhaps we'll see this text in a different light. And that's my prayer today. So if you can, let us stand in reverence for the reading of God's word. Beginning, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Dear God, you have given us so much to chew on, to meditate on, to soak in in these few verses. This theme of marriage and the Christian life is one that is very common and very popular be taught on, but Father, oftentimes we look at your word through our lens and our wishes and even our own hurt and experience without listening clearly to what you're saying. And so I pray God this morning that anyone who is in this room who has suffered a difficult relationship in marriage might look at this text with fresh eyes. Not with one where this text is a list of rules and behaviors, but more so attitude of spirit that you, God, expect, not only of wives, but also of husbands. Lord, I pray that you would speak this morning with truth and love and compassion, and that we as your people would hear and receive this as it should be received. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
First Peter chapter three, these few verses are just one of several passages in the New Testament and, and really in the Old Testament as well, dealing with exactly what the married life looks like. But primarily this, this text is for those who are Christians, right? Because first of all, let's understand that this text is not a self-help text that people turn to to learn how to live in a marriage. But we can also admit that this ta- that passage like this and, and the one in, Ephes- in Ephesians chapter 5 have been taken solely out of context so many times and twisted and distorted by men looking to have dominion over their wives. Can we have an amen? All the men are sitting there going, I'm not saying a word. Because we know, guys, that we, we get in trouble whenever we point to this text. Men love to look at this text and say, okay, woman, talking to their wife, right? The Bible says you got to be quiet. Every man in this room is, who has a girlfriend or is married like to take this text for our own and apply it at home sometimes, wouldn't we? Because we do. We, we look at this text and we think, boy, we've got grounds to say, honey, I don't want to listen to you right now. The Bible says be quiet. But that's not what this text means. You see where we're going? Let's take a look here at First Peter chapter 3. We have to understand the context here, what's going on here in First Peter. Remember, we've just come through uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2 over the last couple of months. And the theme of chapter 2 is dealing with the submission of authority. Those Christians in this text that Peter is writing to, he's writing to the Christians who have been dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. They're in exile. They have scattered to the outermost reaches of the empire trying to just survive and to live, and they're, they're just living day to day. And, of course, they are aliens where they live. They are newcomers. They are starting over again in many situations. And so chapter 2 was dealing with the Christians living the Christian life, living the Christian witness amongst those who are hostile to the faith. And there was even a text in chapter 2 dealing in submission to authority, even if those evil masters beat you. But let's understand that that has nothing to do with what's happening here in in chapter 3. Caution ourselves here not to use this passage as license for abuse. This is not a passage of scripture in 1 Peter chapter 3 that gives husbands authority over their wives to the point that they treat them inhumanely. That we do not treat our wives in such a way that they are less than, that they must suffer from our wrath. This text is a text that it reminds the church, that reminds the Christians, you are living amongst non-Christians and they are watching you. The Christian marriage is such a witness to the harmony and the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel that we as Christians must understand what it means to live as Christian wives and husbands so that the world sees Christ in us. Those who have taken this passage out of context and use it as pressure and controlling over their wives, they have taken this so out of context they are no longer expressing the truth of the gospel. This passage has been so abused, and I want us to try to understand this correctly. Just uh, a few weeks ago, my lovely wife exiled me from our house for a day or two while she was getting ready for a Wedding shower, I think. Is that right? It was the wedding shower for Sarah. Sometimes I'll go to a coffee shop and I'll actually focus and, and read and write. And I had my laptop out and I was writing and typing and working on some things. I was working on some sermon prep. I was working on some uh, lesson plans for a while. A lot of different things. I was I was there probably about five hours that day. 
and there was a group of women who came in, and they had it was a wedding shower, a bunch of girls getting together for a wedding shower, and I'm sitting over in the corner, and they didn't know they didn't pay attention to me one bit. And guys, this was the greatest thing in the world to be a fly on the wall listening to a bunch of ladies give advice to a young bride on how what it means to be married. And I just listened. I was a pastor. Just wow, this is a, this is an opportunity that not many men get. I was just sitting there listening to every word, and it was great. And here's what I heard: there were several Christians in this group. You could tell it was a, a group of Christian ladies, and 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 some of the old uh, I shouldn't say the older some of the women who had been married a while because they really weren't old. They were they'd married a while. They'd been they had some years behind them in in this life of marriage and in Christ. And they were just sharing. That's what they just went around the table and they just shared a little piece of advice from their lives in marriage to this young lady. And some of the advice was very, very wise. Some of the advice was, you know, you and your husband are going to have to learn to be one and you are going to be so different. And, and you're going, and there's a lot of grace involved between a husband and wife. And that's part of the learning process of becoming one in Christ. Grace. Forgiveness, forgiving the fact that he left his socks on the floor, forgiving the fact that your husband just doesn't get it. Guys, I, I haven't figured that out yet, but so, guys, we don't get it. We don't. See, men, we, we think logically and directly, and, and you actually have to speak to us in full sentences with a subject and a verb and a conclusion for us to understand exactly what it is that you're feeling and thinking. But the ladies around this table, they all had the same experience with their men. They all understood it, and this was a common theme. I expected him to clean the dishes in the sink, but he didn't do it. And when I went and got mad at him for not washing the dishes in the sink, my husband just looked at me and just said, But honey, if you had just told me you wanted me to wash the dishes in the sink, I'd have been more than happy to. And this one lady who shared this little piece of advice, she said, You know what? In my mind, he should have just understood it needed to be done. But I had to learn, I had to actually tell him what I was thinking in order for him to understand it. Folks, men and women act differently. We think differently. God has made us to be different. Ladies, you have the gift of compassion and emotional connection with people in ways that we men sometimes don't have. And so whenever... Men and women get together, especially in a marriage relationship. Can we have an amen in the first year or so? There is a getting to know each other process. Amen. In this context here, what Peter's writing about in chapter three, he's writing to Christians. But I think here in verse one, we get a better understanding of exactly who he's writing to. He says in verse one, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of the wives. The context here I think Peter's writing to is that it's very obvious. He, he understands that in the churches there are marriages between Christians and non-Christians. Now I will, ex- I will expect to understand here, and there is not really made clear here whether or not those Christians married willingly non-Christians, or perhaps the marriage occurred before one of the spouses came to Christ. I'm going to assume the latter. That it is very possible that two people become married long before they understand Christ, and somewhere along the life together, 
one of the spouses comes to Christ, now what do you do? In this context, I think that's what's happening. He's, he's writing to wives specifically in the first six verses here. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, ladies, I, I know in American culture in the last couple of generations, it has become a negative thing for wives to actually subject themselves to their husbands. But Peter here is expecting the wives to subject themselves to their, in other words, submit to your own husbands. This is in context here of chapter 2, verse 18, where Peter is telling the Christians, you must submit to the civil authorities. You must submit to those who are over you. You must submit to those, even if they are not Christians, you must submit to them in Christ as a witness to them of what the gospel is. And so he's writing to wives here who are clearly married to husbands who are not Christians. Because he says, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word. I can't imagine being a woman, being married to a man who is not a Christian and she is a Christian. I can't even fathom that. But clearly it happens. In churches we have so many women who come to church by themselves and their husbands don't. So this is very real here today. Be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word. Let's understand what not obeying the word means here. This idea of not obeying the word is in context here of rebellion. That's really what this means. That of the Old Testament, of those who were literally in rebellion against God. Context here is to rebel. What happened in the Old Testament to those in the nation of Israel, or even those pagan nations that rebelled against God. What happened in the Old Testament? What happened to those who rebelled? God, in his spirit, brought justice against those who willingly rebelled against him. That's the context here in First Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Those husbands who do not obey the word, that word for do not obey is actually the word that you could say they are in rebellion. It's not that they just have nothing to do with church or have anything to do with the scriptures. It's that they are actively rebelling against God. How can you be a woman living in a house with a man in that attitude? He's actively rebelling against all things of the word, all things of God's word. That's the context here. Peter says here in verse 1, If you as a, a Christian wife submit yourself to this man, do so so that they may be one without a word. play of words here from Peter, I think, are very important. These men do not obey God's word, and they're going to be one without one word being spoken. Turn with me over 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The Apostle Paul has a lot to say about the same context, beginning in verse 12. Now, I encourage you to read all of chapter 7 if you wish. There's a lot here, of, and this is a different sermon altogether, dealing with uh, those who are married, those who are unmarried, whether they should remarry, those kind of things. But we're going to begin in verse 12, dealing primarily with what is happening here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Here's what the Apostle Paul says, beginning in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, 
that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, the teaching of the Apostle Paul here, I think, is very clear as well. If you are a believing spouse, a believing husband or a wife, and you are married to a spouse who is not a believer, you are not to leave them. You are not to divorce them. You are to stay with that marriage. Why is that? Because God-ordained marriage is, is, is the very first thing that God did with man and woman. He said, I'm going to make Adam a wife. And he made them one. God instituted this, didn't he? It's not good for a man or woman to be alone. Scriptures say it's not good for man to be alone. Ladies, it's not good for you to be alone either. That's why we are drawn to each other in Christ. But how is it that a a Christian living with a non-Christian stays with them? It's through the power of the Lord. It's through the power of Christ. If Christ sacrificed so much for us, can we not sacrifice our pride for our husband or our wife? Peter here in chapter 3, verse 1, makes it real clear. Ladies, be subject to your husbands, even if they don't obey the word, so that they may be one without a word by your conduct. Now, it's interesting here, before we get too far here, let's make a clear caution in this. This is one of the things about that Peter's getting ready to speak about. When he talks about not speaking a word, this gentle and quiet spirit that he expects of the wife. Ladies, just just help me understand here and tell me if I'm wrong, but speaking with my own wife, Rhonda, she gives me a little insight into the way women think. Ladies, do you not have a burning compassion for your family, your, your husband and your children? Don't you have a burning compassion for those in your care, ladies? You have a burning compassion for those who are somehow suffering and need caring, don't you? Is that part of your DNA? I would agree with that. And in so, because you have that, at the same time, is there not also a sense of insecurity that many women struggle with? Do ladies, do you have a sense of insecurity sometimes that you struggle with? Not certain, not confident in yourself, not confident in the way that your family should be. It's interesting here that what Peter's talking about in chapter 3, verse 1 is this. That if we, if you as wives... If you do not nag your husband to come to church, maybe the Holy Spirit will speak into his heart and he'll come to know Christ. But we also have to caution ourselves here, ladies. Is it your responsibility as wives and mothers to make sure that your husband is saved? Ladies, is it your responsibility to make sure that your children come to faith in Christ? Is it your responsibility? I want to argue no. 
Men, just likewise, guys, it's not our responsibility to make sure that our wives follow Christ. It's not our responsibility to make sure that the children follow Christ. Now, we have a responsibility to live as Christians in the home. It is our responsibility to teach our children in the ways of the Lord. It is our responsibility to men to lead our wives in the ways of the Lord. But it is not our responsibility to make sure they are saved. How has someone come to faith in Christ? Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And this is the struggle I think Peter's talking about. Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 14. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says, How then will they, being the non-believers, call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him if whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now notice here in what Paul writes in Romans chapter 10. It does not say in verse 17 that faith comes from hearing the gospel from our wives. It says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of who? Christ. Salvation comes from hearing the word, but that word does not come through our wives. It comes through the preaching of the word, the word of Christ. I think what the difficulty here is in 1 Peter chapter 3 is that, ladies, just be honest with me, you want so passionately and and lovingly for your husband to come to Christ that you talk to him and talk to him and beg with him and plead with him and nag him and nag him and nag him to the point that he just shuts you down. Let me give you a little hint here about how men think. A good man will always listen to good advice. Amen? But I don't know a single man who will respond to repeated pressure and nagging from anybody. So, ladies, I think what Peter's writing here is that you may have a passion and a love for your husband, but the more you pressure him, the more you speak to him, the more you nag him, the less he is going to hear the truth of the gospel. That combined with what Paul speaks about in chapter 10 of Romans, how does a husband come to faith in Christ? On one hand, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that stay with your unbelieving spouse because you may bring them to faith in Christ. But then at the same time, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, it's only through the preaching of the word, of the word that they come to Christ. So how is it anyone comes to faith? It's through the working of the Holy Spirit, would it? Would you not say that? So, ladies, are you more important and more influential than God and his Holy Spirit? I think that's what Peter is saying here. He's not telling ladies to be totally quiet and never speak. He's telling them, do not be so worried about your husband that you nag him to the point that he shuts down and then he no longer responds to what the Holy Spirit might be doing. Instead, in verse 2 of chapter 3, he says, 
that they may be won without a, without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. What is it that softens the hard heart of the, of the unbelieving spouse? What softens the heart is a life of respect and quiet gentleness. If we allow the Holy Spirit to speak into the minds and the lives of those unbelieving husbands, that Holy Spirit will be heard when the husband sees that quiet and respectful conduct of the wife. That is more loud and more pure and more clear than anything else. He continues in verses 3 through 6, and we'll close with these. Ladies, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Ladies, do all girls desire to be beautiful? Is that not part of being a girl? You just want, you want to be pretty. You want to be attractive. And trust me, guys, do, we respond to that, don't we? Men will respond to the attraction or the attractiveness of a pretty girl. Now, ladies, think about what Peter's talking about here in this text as well. Ingrained within the woman is this desire for beauty and attraction. You want people to pay attention to you. That's why you adorn yourself with home your hair. You, you look for the prettiest clothing that you can wear, the jewelry to, to, to be an accessory to your beauty. Because you want people to be drawn to you and to your beauty. And part of what happens there is that women will oftentimes push to get the attention of these non-believing husbands just like they I mean they want their husband's attention not only in a loving marriage relationship but they want their husband's attention in this loving relationship with Christ at the same time but what is the most attractive thing to the non-believer is it this external uh, adorning of gold jewelry and clothing and, and everything that man can do to themselves to make themselves beautiful Or what is more beautiful, according to verse 4, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. What Peter's writing about here in verse 4 is, in other words, let that inner person that you are, this your inner soul must be adorned with Christ's beauty rather than your external beauty. Now, this does not say, and this is another thing that has been taught incorrectly on this passage, Verses 3 through 4 is not a forbidden order against women dressing up and looking pretty. Nowhere in this text does Peter forbid women to clean up a little bit. Please, ladies, come to church, clean up a little bit. It's okay. Is it a good thing to take a bath and put on some perfume and comb your hair and maybe put on a little lipstick and nice earrings? There's nothing that is gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's attractive. It's a good thing. What Peter's writing about here is, ladies, don't allow that passion to be beautiful to overtake what really is more beautiful, and that is the beauty of your soul, that hidden person of the heart. Allow the beauty of Christ 
to adorn the soul in a way that that is more attractive to your husband than anything that you can adorn your body with. The personality and the soul of the person is what is more beautiful than anything else. Peter here does not forbid being neat and being elegant. Peter condemns rather what it, what we the evil of vanity. Is it, is, it, is it easy for women to be vain in their beauty, ladies? Would you agree with that? To be so wrapped up in how beautiful I am, look at me, and if you don't call me beautiful, how, how they, they get mad, don't they? Guys, have you ever not paid attention to the fact that your lady just came, or your wife just came from the beauty parlor? How many men have been in that trouble before? Or you come home from work and your wife has done a wonderful job of cleaning up the house and making everything attractive and comfortable and we men don't even say one word. What Peter's writing about here is that what is more beautiful is the beauty of the spirit, the beauty of the person's soul rather than the beauty of the outside. So let's close with this idea here. When it comes to Christian conduct, when it comes to Christians living in a world that is foreign to Christ, a world that is hostile to the gospel, it doesn't get any more personal than in our own homes where one spouse is a Christian and the other one is not. In this context here, he's saying wives who are married to non-believing husbands. Number one, don't leave them. Number two. Don't nag them. Let them see the truth of the gospel through the gentleness of your spirit that Christ has placed in you. In other words, let your non-believing husband be attracted to the beauty of Christ that is gentle. Rather than the overbearing pressure of a wife who has good intentions but may push her husband away more than she draws him to Christ. Now, that's hard to hear, isn't it? If there's ever a doubt of how to interact with your spouse, especially in a situation where you are the Christian as the wife and the husband, and the husband is not a Christian and is actually in rebellion, the idea of charity is the best judge in every circumstance. This idea of charity is a Christian theme throughout all of Scripture. That is actually can be translated love. The charity toward your husband who is not a Christian, just granting him love and compassion is actually better than anything else. See, all Christian conduct, all of our lives as Christians, we should, we should live in this Christian life with a sense of decency, and order. When it comes to living at home, it's important that women love their husbands and submit to them. But let me also close with this reminder to all of us. And ladies, these are passages of scripture that are hard to hear, but they're they're in the word. Proverbs, if you're writing taking down notes, write these down. Proverbs 14, 1, and Proverbs 21, verses 9 and 19. Let me read Proverbs 21 first. Verse 9 and then verse 19. Proverbs 21, 9 says, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Now, ladies, that's not meant to hurt your feelings. 
please don't take this as a as a as any kind of insult. I'm just reading what the words of Proverbs tell us. In verse 19 of Proverbs 21, it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Why are those passages in Proverbs, the words of wisdom? Ladies, please take these words not as an insult, but as as an awareness that it is better to have a peaceful home. The Holy Spirit will move in a home that is filled with peace and partnership than for a wife to be quarrelsome and fretful all the time. Now, this has nothing to do with men are better than women. But it does have everything to do with if we are, if, if we have the habit of always starting arguments with our husbands, if we have the habit of always being quarrelsome with our husband and always being, this idea of being a fretful wife, always looking to the negative and worrying about things all the time, that can drive the peace out of the home. I'm going to close with Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14.1 says this, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. But it's difficult for a man to speak to women on this issue because we're not women. But I think we can look to Scripture, and if Scripture is truthful and trustworthy, I think there's a lot for us to glean from that. Every one of us in this room are sinners. And every one of us in this room needs a Savior. And the number one thing that we all struggle with is control. Control of our lives, control of our homes, control of our families. And the text that we looked at today, and men, we're going to get to you next week. But the, the passage that we passage that we looked at today deals with the wives and the mothers of the home. The ultimate goal here is to bring peace and harmony in the home. Not to have an atmosphere in the home of worry and anger and frustration. Now, how does that happen? If we, if we honestly, truly trust in the Lord, and we honestly, truly trust that we cannot change the heart of our husband, only God can, then the Holy Spirit will work in that home. But if we are so worried and frustrated that things aren't changing quickly enough or in the way that I want them to change, and I'm going to make my husband come to church, and I'm going to make him love me, and I'm going to make him do this, and I'm going to make him do that, what does that do in the home? It's going to drive the man to the rooftop. The husband would rather sit on the corner of his roof than to live in the house with that type of tension. So ladies, you have a responsibility here. And what Peter here is talking about, I think, is very true. Now, I love the way that Rhonda has been ministering with women. And I think you've all been ministering to each other <laughs> this year and, and the Bible studies in our home. I'm not allowed to be there. I have too much testosterone to participate in the women's Bible study. But as a pastor, let me just at least give a little word of encouragement here. Passages like what we've just read today in 1 Peter chapter 3 has nothing negative in it. If God's word is true, then God's word 
is true. Ladies, if you're struggling with this at your home, if you're struggling with this in your marriage, let me encourage you to remind again, this is not a passage saying all wives must submit and never speak in their home. That is a distorted interpretation of this text straight from the pit of hell. But it is a word from God that says, if you want harmony in your home, if you really love your husband and want him to come to Christ, just live as a Christian woman and he will see your quiet and respectful conduct and he'll respond to that. I know when I'm in the most trouble is when my lovely wife Rhonda says not one word to me. Ladies, if you really want to get your husband's attention, be quiet, be peaceful, pray for him, love him and respect him, and he'll respond. Any man that does not feel respect from his wife will not respond to his wife. You may not fully agree with what your husband is doing, but at least if you give him respect, he'll respond. Father God, this text is so difficult, but it's so true. What is the most beautiful in all wives? Number one is their love and their respect for their Savior, Jesus Christ. And when a wife and a a mother brings that beauty into the home, then everyone there is drawn to it. I pray, God, that all women in this room who have read this text with us, who have listened to the words being spoken, would hear the truth of your spirit, Father. That the most beautiful wife that there could be is the wife that loves Christ first and then is gentle and quiet in their home, not nagging, not aggressive, not fretful, not quarrelsome. And Lord, I pray that in uh, in the families of this church that you would work in these households exactly as Peter is describing here. Wherever there is tension in the home, Father, I pray that you might intervene with your spirit of peace. Number one, so that you receive glory, but number two, so that the rest of our neighbors and friends would see the witness that they need to see, the truthful witness of the gospel being lived out in our homes. Prepare our hearts, Father, to continue to look at this text next week when we look at the roles of the husbands. Forgive us, Father, where we do not live up to that peaceful interaction with our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.